So Money Episode 580, how to pay off six figures in debt in two years with John Capitaneus. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome to So Money. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Our guest today has been dubbed the student loan assassin. He's paid off over $90,000 in student loans, plus another $10,000 in credit card debt in just 24 months. The total damage was $111,354.33. You know, we don't cover debt as much as we do other topics on this show, like earning money, saving, retiring early. But the fact is, many people are saddled with student loans as well as credit card debt. You struggle to make the right trade-offs. You're discouraged by the totality of the debt, not sure you'll ever really see an end to it. So our guest today is John Capitaneus, and he's here to offer us not just inspiration, but his own action plan for eliminating the debt in a short period of time. By day, and probably by night, because journalists don't sleep, he is a producer and writer for ABC News, covering all sorts of human interest stories. And now he's here sharing his own courageous story of becoming financially free. Just a few of the highlights from our conversation, John talks about his self-audit and how it gave him a wake-up call to change his financial life, how to create a comprehensive payoff system that turns debt from being a burden to a target, and the secret to getting out of debt quickly. John has a theory. Here we go. Here's John Capitaneus. John Capitaneus, welcome to So Money. You're the student loan assassin. That's a, a lofty title. Welcome to yeah, the show. Thank you. Thank you. That's kind of a, a self-proclaimed moniker. Uh, it doesn't really mean anything at all. Uh, I think it but, does. I think it, I think paying off $111,000 in debt in 24 months is pretty spectacular. And what's interesting is that you have this career of telling human interest stories as a journalist, and now you have become a very interesting story yourself. So let's start with that story. Tell us, walk us through you know, how you got out of six figures worth of debt in just two years on a starting salary as a journalist in the New York City. I mean, I'm, I'm relating a lot to you. And I feel like my story is small <laughs> potatoes next to yours because I only had 30 grand in debt. You had three, four times the amount of debt that I had in, in a similar financial situation. So take it away. Tell us how you did it. Inspire us. Get us all out of debt. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of strange, too, to be on the other side of the conversation because I'm usually asking these questions. So, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't I didn't really talk about uh, my story all too publicly until really the very end, until I was very sure that I was going to make it. Um, it was very much a suffer in silence type of thing for as long as I was doing it. Um, but so the the backstory was I, uh, I finished my master's degree in journalism in 2013, uh, late 2013. And I remember very vividly uh, being at the home I grew up in, at my mother's house, and I was sitting on the floor of my old bedroom, staring at a $90,000 student loan bill before interest, mind you. And I remember thinking at that time, I'm never going to pay this freaking thing off. I'm going to die with this debt. 
because unless you want point, a Pulitzer or something. Yeah. Unless I want a Pulitzer or something. It, it was, and even then, you know, I was like, I, I wasn't even going down that line. I was just thinking, you know, I, I couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. I just saw this hole that I had put myself in. It was at that time, the monthly payments on that debt um, between my student loan debt, which was around $90,000, um, and around $10,000 in credit card debt. And this is all before interest. And the monthly payments were working out to somewhere around $1,300 a month. Now, at that time, I was a very, very green freelance journalist. I had never made more than $28,000 in a year. I had no savings, no family money, and my deferment period was running out quickly. So it was a situation where I was just thinking, what the heck am I going to do? You know, um, I was really fortunate, though, at that time that I read a blog called no, no More Harvard Debt by a guy from Texas named Joe Mahalik. This was a guy that finished his Harvard MBA with around the same amount of debt that I had and ended up paying it all off in under a year by implementing a plan of financial discipline on himself. So he ended up like selling his car, renting out a room in his house, among other things, to pay off his debt. Plus he's remember, an MBA, so he's probably making a pretty good starting salary from there. Yeah, there there was that. He's not there making freelance that. journalism money. Let's just put it that way. That's true. No, he was no, a no, MBA. no disrespect. I <laughs> I still totally make fair. the freelance journalism money. Totally fair. You know, yes, he was a Harvard MBA. He's working in tech, so his resources dwarfed mine by quite a bit. But it, that, for the first time, for me, uh, kind of gave me this motivational aspect of debt repayment. Because you know, most people think of self help motivation. You know, mm-hmm. think about trying to be your best self. You don't think about it when it comes to paying off high interest debt. So when I read his story. I became overwhelmingly inspired by it. You know, I really looked at it as, well, if he could do it, why couldn't I? It opened up this viewpoint that this was a possibility, that I didn't have to be saddled with this debt for the rest of my, my life. So I remember really, really vividly, uh, you know, I read that blog. And the first day that I made this decision to pay off all my debt, I took my student loan bill, that you know, $90,000 monster, and I drew a bullseye on the highest interest principal loan, which was around $25,000. And that was a starting point. That bill from that point forward in my mind was no longer a bill. It was now a target. And I was going to take that one out first uh, in kind of a reverse debt snowball technique, if you will. And, you know, there, there wasn't, I didn't really have a plan yet at the time, you know, that would develop organically, which we'll talk about. In a you bit. just knew you wanted it out. I just knew that I wanted it gone. And, what that single action, though, did, that single action of just drawing a target around that bill, it caused a change in perspective for me, from one of hopelessness to one of purpose. I had defined a target. Now I just need to figure out how to take out that target. Your ammunition, right? My ammunition, yes. So, you know, when it comes to debt repayment, everyone's path is going to be different. You know, it depends on the resources you start with, your skills, your opportunity for revenue creation, your assets, etc. But if there's one secret, if, you know, of course, you're not some multi-million dollar earner, if you're not a Harvard MBA, you know, tech guru, if you're just a regular person with a regular job, maybe a family, and you choose to undertake this journey, you know, consciously choose to undertake this journey to get to zero debt, what I learned is how fast you do it will depend on what level of discomfort you're willing to endure. Now, I say, you know, as I say, endure and not accept because you don't have to accept discomfort. Mm -hmm. You don't need to say this is okay. This is the baseline because I think doing that gives it permanence. 
what when I when you say accepted, you know, even if you've taken this thing upon yourself, you shouldn't accept the discomfort. You should endure the discomfort. What I like to call embracing the suck. Embrace um, the suck. <laughs> I like yeah. it. So for me, that meant approaching this problem, approaching this, you know, getting this ammunition, that meant a two-pronged approach. Increasing my revenue and decreasing my spend, which is, you know, nothing revolutionary. It's something that you've heard from every financial guru ever in the history of ever. Bring but, in you know, more, me, take out less. Yeah. Yes. But for me, it was still, you know, this was very new because I was staring at this monster. So I knew, okay, I had to get my total earnings up and I had to get both my variable and my fixed costs down. So for earnings, I had to take advantage of what I knew, my skills as a journalist and a TV producer. So from there, I capitalized over the course of two years on every opportunity I could possibly find to work. So that meant overnight shifts, holidays, weekends, every possible shift that I could pick up as a freelancer, I took. I had at that time pushed myself to a point so far beyond discomfort where, you know, I would start hearing words like workaholism and sleep deprivation. Um, you know, and it's not, I don't want to go too far down that road just out of respect for, you know, all my previous employers. But the bottom line takeaway of it was that I put myself in a position at pretty significant cost to probably my long term health and personal life to drastically increase my earnings, you know, working round the clock. At one point, I had worked 138 consecutive overnight shifts without a day off. Um, you know, just going and many of those days would end up being, you know, back to back, I would work an overnight and then I'd work a day shift somewhere else. Uh, you know, at one point, um, I had, uh, I think I'd worked like five consecutive shifts. It was, yeah, it was really going down, uh, a pretty, you know, sounds illegal. Place. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was, and the, and the thing was, is that you know, no one would ever know because I was working for different places. Oh, okay. So, yeah, you know, right. it, it, it was, it was definitely not good. Let's put it that way. You know, it wasn't smart for me. Mm -hmm. I was just, you know, and I mean, of course, I, I was paying taxes out the wazoo, um, everything documented, but it was just, I was putting myself in a place to just work constantly. There was one point where. Uh, for an entire year, I didn't sleep on Saturday because I would book myself on, you know, double and triple shifts, uh, and, you know, go back home to Connecticut, which actually is the other part of debt reduction I'll get to in a second and then go back to work. So I was, you know, basically had like three hours in between Saturday night. I love that how deep you're going with this story. You're really giving us, uh, the exact steps. The fact that you were a freelancer helped, right? Because you could piece together all these different jobs, work weekends. I mean, if you had the ABC job then where, you know, it's pretty set and it's salaried, I wonder if you would have been able to increase your revenue as much. What would you have done on right. the side? Right. Well, you know, it's, I, I think that it, it's much more difficult to do when you become, you know, salaried staff employee. And I don't know that I would have been able to do it much the same, um, as I'm doing now, because, you know, certainly uh, comes points to where, you know, you have non-compete agreements, you can't, you know, be working for, you know, a staff employee at one show and then be going and doing work at other shows. That's, you know, that, so that would make things difficult from my perspective. Um, you know, I mean, for me, I would probably do something along the lines of, you know, I uh, bartended my way through college. So, you know, something like that would be uh, a second revenue generation source for me. But fortunately, I was, you know, I was in this position then that, you know, I could just work around and, you know, just as much as I, as much work as I could possibly get, I would take. Um, so, and, you know, for me at that time it worked, 
I went from never making more than $20,000 a year before that, uh, before I graduated in 2013, to making six figures in one year. So for me, that was huge. Um, But at that point, that wouldn't even be enough. I had to get, I had to then get as much of those earnings plowed back into my loans as I could. So, you know, decreasing my costs. So from there, so I started with my fixed costs, rent and the cost of living in New York City, gone. I left my apartment in Midtown Manhattan to move back to Connecticut with my parents at 25 years old. So now instead of living near work, I would commute two and a half hours each way every day to work because it was going to save me 75% on my fixed costs, driving my old car into the city versus living there. Then from there, I had to slash my spending to bare bones everywhere I could. So I did what, you know, uh, what I guess you could call a self audit of my spending. I went through all of my checking and credit card statements for the previous months and years, laid them all out on the table, found exactly what I was spending on everything, food, going out, my health care, my health insurance bills, everything that I spent money on, I documented. And my goal was to slash that as much as I possibly could. So for a time, for, for, you know, a period of almost two years, that meant cutting out things like going out to drinks with friends, you know, going out eating, taking trips to, you know, go see friends from high school and college, you know, everything, everywhere I could squeeze money out of my self-expenditure and plow it back into my student loans, I did. And the reason being is because every single payment, every little bit that you put down once you kind of accept this journey, if you, if you kind of frame this as you know, a hero's journey, um, you know, going, doing a little Joseph Campbell uh, reference for a moment, and you know, the, the end goal is this debt payoff, this zero-sum day. And every step along the way is your various challenges, your call to action, your, you know, facing various challenges. Every little extra bit that you put down on your loan, every time you see that number drop from your principal, it will be a small win. And over time, you'll begin to feel so much better about this that you don't really even think about all the sacrifices that you have to make. You'll get to a point like I did where your debt even becomes something that you don't have to think about if you don't want to. I got to a point where I was so where I was paid so far ahead on my student loans that I didn't have a due date for five years on some loans, and you know at that point it becomes about continuing and not stopping until you reach that summit. Because don't get this wrong, if you take this journey on yourself and really put those those uh, those fixtures in place in order to get yourself there, you will get there. If you embark mm-hmm. on this journey, you take on this mission, you give it what you can as often as you can for as long as you can. You will reach that target, whether it's you know two years like me or five years or 10 years or one year like Joe Mahalik. If you set that level to which you can sustainably manage this course and you give it hell, you will get there. And you know if it's anything like, like mine, it'll be one of the best days of your life. You call it a hero's journey. I call it a superhero's journey. Uh, <laughs> two follow-up questions for you. So one is, throughout this journey, what did you learn about yourself in terms of what you're willing to tolerate so much that in now your your new life, debt-free life, you've maintained a certain habit that you developed during this, you know, this this these two years of of going to, to zero debt. Um, and then the other question is, what has this opened up your life to now? What's the next chapter in your financial book? Sure. So um, to go to the first question, you know what 
did I learn about myself? I think that if I were to go back to talk to me from 2014, 2013, 2014, to me now, I would tell myself that, you know, you're capable of going through all these trials. Because back then, believe me, I didn't know that I could kind of endure this thing that I went through. You know, it was, it was a really bad, I went into a dark place for, for a couple of years where it was, you know, you, you don't spend as much time going out with, you, you don't see friends as often. You don't, um, you know, you really become focused on this one goal. You get tunnel vision. And, you know, for me, even doing all of that for a long time, I couldn't see the light in the tunnel. It was just process it became mundane. I knew that no matter what I would be turning around 70, 80, 90% of my income back into my student loans. And that was just routine. It just became habit. And, you know, I, I really only started to see that light at the end of the tunnel once I started getting really close around, you know, $10,000. I was like, oh, wow, I might actually get there. Um, so I think knowing from way earlier on, even though I had this motivation, even though I set up this plan, even though I knew that, you know, I, I was laser focused to get there, I still had you know, what I think most people with student loans have at some point, this anguish, you know, this, this kind of this hopelessness, even though I, I, I set myself up to kind of counteract that, it still comes up, you know, because you kind of, you, you start to feel it sometimes, am I ever going to make it? Am I doing all this for nothing? Is this for or not? You know, um, so I, I would go back and I would tell myself at that time, you know, just, don't put yourself through that. Don't be so hard on yourself. That light is there. And that's what I would tell to anyone who's listening to us to ha who has, you know, 30, 40, 50, 80, hundred thousand dollars in debt. Don't put yourself through that anguish. Don't put yourself in a place where money makes you feel like less of who you are, because there is that light at the end of the tunnel and you can get there. You just have to believe that you can get there. And I know that now. But there were times back then that I didn't know that. So that's what I think is a big difference, you know, mm -hmm. from me now to me then. Um, going to your second question, you know, what is kind of – what is what have I taken away from all of it? You know, what are my habits now? Well, for sure, I, I think that – and this is really important – that, you know, once you get to a zero-sum point, once you get to a point where you don't have student loan debt, once you don't have credit card debt, you know, once you're kind of free of this metaphorical noose that's around your neck, that is really more than anything, the time where these disciplines and these habits that you learn from a debt payoff journey matter more than anything. Because something that I've seen is that, you know, for particularly with, with our generation, that lifestyle inflation could be an issue at various times in your life. Um, you know, you get that raise, you get, you know, you, uh, you get an inheritance, you get that, you know, $100 from grandma and grandpa for Christmas. And immediately you start thinking about how you're going to spend that money. And what I think is that, you know, when you, when you get to that point where you pay off your debt for a lot of people, as it was for me for a while, you know, you start thinking about, oh, what am I going to spend? Oh, what am I going to do now that I'm free? Oh, you know, what can I do? That metaphor, financially free. Uh, what am I going to do now with all this extra money? And at that point is really where it becomes more about having that discipline more than ever. Because if you start inflating your lifestyle, you're ultimately, I think, going to end up back in a similar difficult situation. You know, you could end up spending on credit cards, could end up in you know, uh, buying a house you can't afford or a car you can't afford. I think that when you, when you, Im 
But when you put in these disciplines and when you really, really live by them, you give yourself a chance long term to have true financial freedom, to you know build up your savings, have emergency reserves, have money that you can put in investments for long term, you know, have a house you can afford and a car you can afford and be able to put yourself in a fighting position to do well long term, not only for yourself, but for your family. You know, what one of the things I kept thinking about when I started paying off my student loans is, you know, I was 25 and I kept thinking about so many people that I knew that were in their 40s and 50s that were still paying off their student loans and their kids were starting college. And I was thinking, you know, I wouldn't know how to handle that, to continue having student loans, continue having debt and, you know, having to take care of my children on top of that. I feel like that would be such an incredible burden. Um, so I think that, you know, when you get to that point, where you've paid something off, you've gotten there, you've reached that pinnacle, you've reached that summit, keeping those disciplines in place are more important than ever. And, you know, that's what something that I learned about myself that, you know, to this day, I still, um, you know, I don't quite do, you know, 70, 80% as much as I used to, but as close as I possibly can, I'm putting back into my savings, I'm putting into my 401k. I'm, you know, I have emergency reserves for the first time in my life, which is um, mind blowing. Um, and it's all because I kept that discipline that I learned throughout this journey, throughout this process. What's something that you did for fun for you for, you know, as <laughs> I can only imagine the day that you go to zero sum debt. Um, wh- what was that feeling like and what did you immediately do? Uh, yeah. So um, that's actually one of the questions that I'm asked more so than any is kind of, you know, what's that day like, like you know, the, the day I submitted that final payment. Um, and so here's the thing that, that you don't really think about when you embark on a journey like this, because you're motivated, you have this goal in mind, you have this end goal, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel you're striving for. The thing you really think about is when you finish paying off your debt, that's great. It's fantastic. It's a momentous occasion, but now you're at zero. You just got back to even. So, you know, like I said, the day you finish paying off your loans is that day where, you know, the principles become more important than ever. Um, and to be sure, you know, on, on that day, like when I paid off my student loans, that zero sum day, uh, which was uh, July 23rd, 2016, there was no ticker tape parade. There are no banners in your name, you know, no go, John, you did it. That morning, I made the final payment on my loans. I put a f- post on Facebook. It was a post that I dreamt about putting up for uh, two years. You know, I'd, I'd always envisioned writing it. I'd written it hundreds of times in my mind. And I p- put it up and I went to work like I always do. You know, nothing really different. I had the same job, at the same cafeteria, parked in my same parking garage. Um, but I had, you know, for the first time, the sense of accomplishment that, you know, that I finally made it made it through this journey. And that's really what made it worthwhile. You, know, you don't need accolades for getting rid of debt. You, you've gained something so much more valuable. You've gained personal accountability. You've gained financial self-discipline. You've motivated yourself to see a goal to completion. And that sense of pride, that accomplishment is really what stays with you and allows you to do things for yourself. So getting to your question, you know, uh, what did I do for myself? One of the first things I did um, is I took a trip for the first time in, you know, a couple of years at that point. And it's actually, it kind of coincides with a story that we together, we did together a while back for an issue. We did a story uh, where we interviewed you about travel hackers. Mm-hmm. Um, and after we did this story, I, uh, I started learning about what some of these guys did. And it was a different type of um, what I would call discipline, you know, learning how to utilize uh, gaining points and miles and things like that, which is a totally different conversation about how to travel and take advantage of travel 
um, for as low cost as you can. So I started learning about it a little bit more. And I ended up taking a trip the month after I paid off my debt using miles that I had accumulated over the you know course of working. Um, I took my dad and myself to Greece for the first time. Uh, I had never been. And then my father, uh, you know, he's the hardest working human being I've ever known. And he hadn't gone back. He was born in Greece and hadn't gone back to visit his home country since before I was born. So over 30 years. So the month after I paid my debt, I bought two round trip tickets to Greece for me and my dad. And I brought him back there for the first time. And it was the best feeling because I knew that I could do it. You know, that was something that I didn't feel bad about. You know, I was able to do it for a great cost. Um, you know, it only cost me a couple hundred dollars using miles and, um, you know, kind of taking advantage of some, uh, some travel hacks that I learned. And I was able to, you know, do something that I dreamed about doing for a really long time and being able to make someone in my family very happy while doing it. So that was, uh, that's incredible. And I like to think that I had something to do with it. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. That That was, you know, somehow learned, I don't know, maybe just from working together occasionally, just occasionally. All started with that story. Yeah. It was because otherwise, you're welcome. Thank you. Uh, Yes. Thank you for a new straw. I appreciate (laughs) it. Um, you know, because otherwise, I I think that, you know, it, it, uh, I still would have, and I still stuck to, you know, I made a budget. Even though I had just paid off all this day, I made a budget. I stuck to my budget as much as possible. But that definitely helped to be able to, you know, be able to take a trip for hundreds of dollars yeah. versus thousands of dollars. And um, for your dad. And that's such a sweet, you know, such a sweet gift that you gave him that, uh, yeah. you know, they say the best ways to spend your money is to spend them on experiences because the memories live on forever. And that's going to probably be one of the best memories uh, that you'll share with him. Um, so Absolutely agree. Tell me a little bit about your family um, and how maybe growing up in your particular household, what sort of financial influences did that have on you? Because yes, we can all make plans and we can all figure out our threshold for pain and how much we're going to you know, endure to be able to get out of debt. But at the end of the day, it also takes a particular type of person who would instigate something like that. So what kind of person are you and how is how did your upbringing shape who you are? Right. And that's, that's a really great question. Um, you know, it's something that when I look back at it now, um, makes sense, but I didn't think about it, you know, back when I was going through this journey, it was kind of a hindsight is 2020 situation here. Um, but I remember something that sticks out, like I said, it wasn't really relevant until after this journey, but growing up, um, you know, my dad used to tell me the story about my grandfather who passed away when I was young. Um, my grandfather moved our family to the United States from Greece in the seventies. And, you know, he was a remarkable person. He was an army veteran, a construction worker who specialized in aluminum siding. He was uh, a restaurateur, if you know, you would in the seventies, uh, he drove motorcycles. You know, this was a guy who could do it all. Um, and, uh, my grandfather had started, you know, a number of small businesses, you know, doing aluminum siding, uh, opening up pizza places, a real immigrant entrepreneur. And anytime he would start a new business, my dad would tell me he would get a small business loan or a mortgage to be able to, you know, purchase the equipment or to, you know, buy the surrounding property or whatever he needed. And every time he would get another loan to start a business, he used to tell his sons, my dad and my uncle and their employees, hey, you guys need to work harder because you need to get grandpa out of jail. You need to get me out of jail. So jail in this context would mean you have to get me out of debt. You guys need to work hard so we can pay this loan off. And I remember hearing the story over and over as a kid, but it didn't really resonate with me until I started this journey for myself. 
And in many ways, it helped shape how I look at debt as something that, you know, could present opportunities, but at the same time was also a prison that you needed to get out of. Now, you know, the fact that I ended up in one of those traps myself to begin with is another cause for concern. But, you know, it was a humble teacher. And, you know, I really I have my late grandfather to thank for that. And I also have my dad um, and my mom as well, you know, who tell me these stories. When you're a kid, you know, you just think, oh, silly stories. I don't want to hear this again. But now, as I'm older, it really, you know, it resonates more and it makes sense. Well, there you go. You looked at debt as jail. (laughs) So I think we just had a nice doom and gloom. Yeah. I just saved you years of therapy. Just uh, (laughs) in that one question, you're welcome again. Um, (laughs) So let's do some, so many fill in the blanks. You've talked now already about some of your philosophy, which I love all your approaches to money and your money mindset. Um, You've given us a little bit of a glimpse into your upbringing and your familial influences. So let's, let's have a little fun and round out the interview with some quick fill in the blanks. Ready? So first thing that comes to mind, if I won the lottery tomorrow, the first thing I would do is. Okay. I'm going to give you the cliche answer and then I'm going to give you the, the unique to me answer. The cliche answer of course is I would take care of my family, you know, settle their outstanding debts, et cetera. And Mm -hmm. I would, of course, there are several organizations, uh, charitable organizations that I support personally that I think do fantastic work. Um, You know, a couple shout outs to, my friends at Agape International, who are a human rights uh, fight, a human rights group that fight human trafficking. Um, you know, my uh, my best friend runs a uh, veterans organization, Vet Hack Labs, that uh, seeks to combat veteran suicide. These are amazing organizations that I support and I've worked with and I've done stories on. Um, so of course, if I want a hundred million dollars, I'm giving a huge chunk of money to them. Um, but to steer that question back to something that's a little more unique to me. Um, and I don't know if I'm the only person with a hypothetical $100 million who would say this, but I would go back to school. I would go back for probably two, three, four more degrees, you know, James Franco style. <laughs> and So what would those be? What would those degrees be? Oh, gosh. You know, I, I mean, $100 million, you could you can go crazy. You could, I mean, I've never taken an engineering class, but hey, why not? You know, <laughs> um, you know, I, I would I would for sure. I, I started taking courses as part of my journal as my financial journalism masters in uh mba courses so i'd you know finish my mba i would heck go to law school you're talking 100 million that's a that's a game changer so i think that's um, true of a lot of journalists i i I, yeah. I think i would agree with you i think we're constantly curious we're always learning yeah. and um so that makes a ton and, of sense and i think you like me you know you you can really identify the the impact that education has had on, on your life. You know, it's so profound in such an important way that, you know, I know that I, I kind of give this little bit of doom and gloom about student loans, but really, you know, a, a education presents such an incredible life changing opportunity for so many people that, you know, as long as you're able to properly utilize that degree, it's the most important thing in the world. And for me, you know, being a, a child of immigrants, it's been a life changer. So, you know, I would never, ever dissuade anyone from educating themselves in any way, whether it be college, whether it be, you know, trade school, whatever it is. I think uh, education is monumentally important. Yeah. Crazy though, how much more expensive it's gotten. So I graduated from journalism school in New York, like you about 10 or so years ago, my debt was for the tuition, $30,000. Yours was almost triple that. And with 10 years in between, 
so there you go. I mean, I don't think that's uncommon for tuition prices to skyrocket to, to basically triple, quadruple in 10, 12 years, which is scary. Right. But And that's the growing thing that you're starting to see, what I like to call, you know, the uh, the uh, student loan 1%, you know, the 1% of borrowers. And it may be way higher than that. I made that number up um, of people who have, you know, six figures or more in debt. Because, you know, we hear kind of the the average amount, you know, people graduating with 30000 40000 I'm, I'm not sure exactly what the, the average amount is, thirty four or something mm-hmm, around that right. now, um, which is a lot of money to be sure. For anyone to come out in a thirty-four thousand dollar hole, but there's definitely this subset of super borrowers that are coming out eighty, ninety, a hundred, and you know, for some that are coming out of medical school, two hundred plus thousand in debt, that you know, it's really even an, a further consideration um, for them in their long-term financial planning. Right. Um, so, and that's yeah, a big part of you know what uh, you know inflation in uh, the cost of tuition of college tuition. So there's a uh, that's definitely a consideration when you're deciding on what school um, you should, you know, ultimately decide on going on. What you should study. That should all be factors that you know students, particularly high school students, should keep yeah, in mind. Yeah, learn learn what the ROI is going to be. I mean, it's not absolutely. I, everyone should, if they want to get an education, should absolutely get one. But you have to be smart about it, financially smart about it. What? Okay, so next, moving on. The one thing that I spend on that makes my life easier or better or both is. Oh gosh, I'm going to sound a little nerdy, but books. I have no com- I have no compunction about spending money on books. And here's the silly part about it though is that I buy more books than I ever have the ability to read. I'm probably sitting at the moment on maybe 200 or so books that I've purchased that I haven't even opened yet. And it's just because, you know, I, I really like, I, I have a, a pretty decent library, I like to think. And I like to be able to just pull out and read something different at any given moment. Um, and in in many ways, that makes my life easier. That and Uber. <laughs> or, or, uh, yeah, I I actually just unsubscribe from Uber. I now use Lyft well, exclusively. I don't know. Just, yeah, they've they've definitely had some uh, some challenges. They've recently. had some PR issues, but also more yeah. than that. I mean, true. I think I, it's I the also, company I that people love to hate sometimes. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, between, but you're right, Lyft has been, you know, they offer a great service as well. So whatever your preferred mode of transportation is. <laughs> I didn't mean to throw you out. In the- yeah, no, no, it's, it's, that's a very, it's a very valid point. Um, you know, so. Uh, but I feel like we use Uber as sort of like, just, it's like, uh, I'll, th- I'll have a Coke, but really maybe you just want a Pepsi, you know, because Coke is just sort of like. But see, there you have Pepsi over. now too. No, no, I don't, <laughs> I mean, you can't even drink a Pepsi. Uh, or is it Coke? Which one had the really weird commercial? Uh, it was Pepsi. It was Pepsi, yeah. <laughs> which I never. I like. I'm a Coke. I'm a Diet Coke girl. So, <laughs> which is a, another issue because I'll be. I'm drinking a slow death uh, with Diet Coke. I, I plead the fifth. <laughs> <laughs> right, you're, you you have to stay neutral. I don't. Um, let's move on to this one. So when I donate, I like to give to blank because. Uh, you know, I, I really like. I think there's some fantastic. Uh, organizations out there that do really great work. And I like to give to organizations where I can really see the funds going to work. So um, you know, the organization that I mentioned earlier, uh, Gapa International in Cambodia, um, is an organization that I, I did a story on them. We worked on it for about four months. And I was able to see every dollar that went to work for their programs to help traffic children. Um, so I thought that that was really, really amazing. You know, there are a lot of really huge organizations um, that do great things, but I think that you know, when I was able to go somewhere and follow a story and see 
where every person's donated dollar went to help. I think that's really, really incredible. And, you know, has become a barometer for me now when I give money. I will look at public filings, for example, uh, um, mm, yes. you know, uh, organizations, 990s. And if they do what they advertise, I will gladly give them my money. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, so St. Jude's, for example, Doctors Without Borders are a few I consider exemplary and I've given money to in the past. Um, so that's, you know, I, I really like to be able to see it doesn't have to be, you know, a huge organization, even small organizations that do great work where you can see that they're putting every single penny to great use is really, really impressive to me and something that I think is worth giving more to, um, you know, whatever particular cause you happen to support, there's a group that's doing great work on it. But you got to read the fine print. And yeah, yeah, I learned this too as a journalist. It's, and it's all out there. It's all public information. All right. Last but not least, I'm John Capitaneus. I am so money because? I'm so money because I don't give up ever. And if you're listening to this and you have student loan debt, neither should you. Don't give up. You can do it. I believe in you. Farnoosh Tarabi believes in you. I believe in you. In you. I... Amer- America believes in you. <laughs> You've got this. You can do it. Don't fret. You'll make it. There's a light there. We're also money. Yeah, we're also money. Make your financial life great again. <laughs> yeah. uh, there we go. John, thank you so much. Uh, I, you know, thank tell you us, for having me. Tell us, you know, you do all this work with ABC. What's a, what's a story you've got coming up that you're really excited about? Oh, gosh. You know, um, without revealing too, too much, you know, we have some great stuff in the pipeline. Um, you know, I, so I'm a producer for Nightline, and it's very much, I have to say, um, it's a job that I got towards the end of my uh, student loan journey, and it's very much my dream job. Um, you know, and I'm not just saying that because my bosses are probably listening. Um, you know, it's I, I've had the opportunities to travel all over the country and all over the world, telling really great human interest stories, financial stories, and some fun stories as well. Um, so at this point, you know, I, I've been doing some really important stories on human trafficking in Southeast Asia, some that we're working on. Um, that we just put on a great story about a couple a uh, couple weeks ago, and it's something that we're going to be following over the next uh, you know months and years. Um, you know, something as well, I'm very passionate about, I'm working on a few stories on wildlife trafficking and, you know, protecting animals. Um, so we have a few that are, that are in the works, um, in different parts of the country. So it's something to look out for. Watch right. Nightline and for you'll be sure. able to see them. For so. sure. Thanks again, John. Wishing you best of luck. Thank you so much for having me and congratulations to you as well oh, on your little you. girl. Thank you. Thank you. Look out for those stories from John. Just go to abcnews.go.com. You can also follow John on Twitter at John Capitaneus. Go to somoneypodcast.com. In case you miss anything, it's all there for you. You can download the audio. You can grab the transcript. You can also leave me a question for our Friday Ask Farnoosh episodes. Just hop over to somoneypodcast.com and click on Ask Farnoosh and type in your question or leave a voicemail, and I will add it to the queue for our Friday episodes. Thanks for tuning in. Good luck with your debt if you have any. And I hope your day is so money.